Hey America, what's up? It's Sweet D, also known as Cry. You're listening to Cry Let It All Out podcast, March 8, 2023. It's a Wednesday. How you doing? Haven't been here, haven't done a podcast in a minute. Want to say thank you to Heinz for doing the for being my co-host last time I was here. So we're going to get right into the book, uh, The Killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott. I'm going to skip to chapter 7. We're going to talk about Yafu Fula's murder um, today. We miss Tupac and Biggie very much. They were the greatest rappers that ever lived. And I miss them dearly. Uh, I'm just so devastated that they're not here. And um, we got to continue their legacy on. We got to keep their legacy going. Um, They were greatness. They were such good rappers. Excellent rappers. They were going to be bigger than big. But we're going to... And also, I'm going to do a rap at the end. Wrote a little rap for you today. So, cry, let it all out the podcast. Let's get started with Yafu Fula's murder. Yafu Fula was gunned down in the hallway of a federal housing project in Irvington, New Jersey, two months after Tupac Shakur was murdered. Yasmin Fula, one of Afeni Shakur's best friends, lost her only son in that shooting. Metro Police lost their only willing witness to Tupac's murder. Fuller toured with Outlaws Immortal, formerly called Thug Life, a quartet that regularly backed Tupac in concert and appeared with him on the first album he cut for Death Row, All Eyes on Me. All the backup players had the words Thug Life tattooed, like Tupac, across their middle abdomen sections. Tupac planned to produce records for the group under his newly formed company, Ephanasia. Tupac hired Fuller's mother, Yasmin, to manage the L.A.-based company. Fuller, just 19 years old, was a passenger in the Lexus that was directly behind Suge's BMW when the shooting occurred. Bodyguard and former peace officer Frank Alexander was driving the Lexus. Neither he nor rapper Malcolm Grenridge, the other passenger, admitted to seeing the assailant. Only Fuller told the police he might be able to pick out Tupac's shooter from a photo lineup. He was the only witness that night who exhibited a willingness to help the police. Thank you, Yafu. Yafu Fula was the only one who gave us an indication in the interview he could identify the gunman. Lieutenant Wayne Peterson said his statement was, yeah, I might be able to recognize him. But in the aftermath of the shooting, detectives were frustrated by not being able to schedule an interview with Fula. Once Fuller left Las Vegas, detectives were referred to death row attorney David Kenner, the same lawyer they dealt with when they tried to schedule an interview with Suge Knight. Before a meeting could be arranged, Fuller, too, was murdered. On Sunday, November 13, 1996, at 3.48 a.m., Fuller was fatally shot in the face at point-blank range while in the hallway of a housing project in Irvington, New Jersey, where his girlfriend lived. Found slumped against the wall, he was taken by ambulance to 
University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey. Efforts to save his life were futile, and he was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. There were reports that Fula had been wearing a flak jacket when he was found. Bruce Fatal Washington, a fellow rapper in Outlaws Immortals, told reporters that Fula and the other members of the rap group frequently wore bulletproof vests for protection, especially in the wake of Tupac's murder. Like Tupac, Fula was shot following a Mike Tyson heavyweight prize fight, slain just hours after the Mike Tyson-Evander Holyfield fight in Las Vegas. Within two days of the murder, Orange police arrested and charged two teenagers. Police said the case was not related to Tupac's murder. Publicly, Las Vegas police, too, have insisted that there was no re relation. Sergeant Manning attributes Fuller's death in part to the general nature of being a young black male in this country today. The statistics show that black-on-black -black gun violence has been the leading cause of death for black youth, 15 to 19 years old, since 1969. From 1987 to 1989, the gun homicide rate for African-American males, 15 to 19 years old, increased 71%. On the roughly 20,000 murders committed each year in the United States between 1991 and 1995, 50% were cases involving black victims. Privately, Las Vegas police say that while their sense is that the case probably is related, they have to go on the evidence, not a gut feeling. The criminal justice system demands that when police submit a case to the district attorney's office, the evidence must be strong enough for it to be approved for criminal prosecution. Manning says he can't go on instinct and he can't go on a gut feeling. Still, it's hard to imagine that a possible star witness to a murder who gets gunned down just two months later isn't connected to the original case. Having been intimately involved with this story for months, I recognized the connection the minute I heard about it and broke the story. I was working on Monday, November 14th, making my rounds on the phone as I do every day. Since I work for an afternoon daily, I'm on deadline each morning for that day's edition. I made a routine phone call to Homicide to see if there was anything new in the secure investigation and was told that detectives had sketchy information that a witness in the case had been murdered back east. Homicide had gotten a message overnight on its answering machine. The investigator didn't know how to spell Yafo Fula's name. He didn't know the name of the city where the witness was murdered. He did know that it happened somewhere in New Jersey. I hung up and immediately relayed what little I knew to the city desk and was told to see what I could get. Meantime, the copy desk freed up space on the front page just in case the story panned out. I picked cities at random, phoned directory assistance for the numbers, and then one by one called about 10 police departments. The last one had heard there'd been a murder in Orange, New Jersey. I called the police department there, asked for the homicide division, and the officer confirmed that there had been a murder the day before. The captain could tell me about it, however, was in a meeting unavailable to speak with me. No one else there was authorized to talk to the press. 
The officer invited me to attend an afternoon news conference. I told him that I was in Las Vegas and needed information for that day's paper. He said he heard the homicide was mentioned in one of the area's newspapers, but he didn't know which one. So I called the papers. I reached a reporter at the Star-Ledger in Orange, New Jersey. The newspaper reported that Yafu Fula, a backup singer for Tupac, had been shot to death. Wire services had not moved the story overnight. The connection had not been made nor reported that Fuller was a key witness in Tupac's murder. Now he too was dead. Orange Police Captain Richard Conti called me a few minutes later with the details. The captain told me he wasn't aware that Fuller was a witness to a murder. My paper, The Las Vegas Sun, banned the story on the front page bannered the story on the front page. The article began, A key witness Metro Police have been trying to interview since the fatal shooting of rapper Tupac Shakur has been murdered in New Jersey. The Associated Press picked up the piece and it was the lead story on local and national TV news programs that evening. Officially, Las Vegas Metro Police and police in Orange, New Jersey, claimed that Fuller's murder was not connected to Tupac's murder. It doesn't appear at this time to be involved with the Tupac Shakur killing. Yeah, right. Captain Conti told reporters who followed up on the story. When I pressed them about the Las Vegas connection, Conti said Fuller knew the two people who shot him and that it may have been drug-related. I think it's more or less a lifestyle-related homicide as opposed to death row versus Biggie and all that, Conti said. The availability that people have of drugs and guns, I think he died because of that, not because he saw Tupac kill. It was a lifestyle thing. No, sir. Fuller was going out with the girl there. He was at her apartment. Conti noted, I'm talking to California and Las Vegas detectives. I do not believe it was related to either Tupac Shakur or gang affiliation with the evidence at hand. I can say it's not gang related. Kevin Manning as well maintained there was no evidence to link Fuller's killing with his being a witness in Tupac's murder. Come on. Based on the information we received from Orange Police, we don't think there's a connection, Manning said. Metro homicide detectives never went to New Jersey to interview the murder suspects. Within 48 hours, the two teenagers, 16 and 17-year-old black youths, were charged with Fuller's murder. Their names were not released because of their ages. Both have pleaded not guilty. They have yet to go to trial. Even though Yafu Fula was Metro's best witness in Tupac's murder case, Metro Lieutenant Larry Spinoza said he, was, he wasn't coming forward anyway. We didn't know where he was until he turned up dead in New Jersey. We wanted Fula to look at a photo lineup, and the attorney would say he would get back to us, and he never did. As far as the investigation is concerned, it really does not change the status and the case at all. It's an open investigation. However, at this point, we reached an end to fresh leads. That's chapter seven, Yafu Fula's murder. Now we're gonna go to chapter eight, Biggie Small's murder. 
On Sunday, March 9, 1997, East Coast rap superstar Biggie Smalls, also known as Notorious B.I.G., was attending a star-studded party in Los Angeles to celebrate the 11th Annual Soul Train Music Awards. He'd been in Las Vegas for about two weeks doing West Coast interviews and had canceled a flight to Europe so he could attend, so he could attend the post-awards get-together. The party held at the Peterson Automotive Museum in the Mid-Wilside District of Los Angeles and sponsored by Vibe Magazine, Quest Records, and Tangeray was supposed to have been private, but by the time Biggie and associates and friends arrived, about 2,000 people had filed into the museum. Biggie, we love you. Biggie, six foot three, and weighing upwards of 300 pounds, wore a black suede shirt, a solid gold chain around his neck, with a large gold cross hanging from it. He was celebrating his award, Lyricist of the Year, and what a dope lyricist he was, America. But he was unhappy that he hadn't won the dopest rhyme of the month, an award given by the Source magazine. See, I want you to be able to say big without hesitation. He's the best, he told a reporter for The Source. Biggie was also anticipating the release of his second CD, Life After Death, To Death Do Us Part, in two weeks. The disc jockey played a single, Hypnotize, off the new album. Biggie talked about the new release in an interview with BET. If you thought the first album was a fluke, hold your head. Because the next one, man, it's all it's all like you never thought. The next album is called Life After Death, and we ain't taking no prisoners. Most of the evening, Biggie sat with Russell Simmons, president and CEO of Def Jam Records, and his producer, Sean Combs, CEO of Biggie's record label, Bad Boy Entertainment, who records under the name of Puff Daddy and whom his friends call Puffy. Actor Wesley Snipes, singer Sale, among others, were also there. Women danced for Biggie at his table. He was having a good time. Shortly after midnight, a fire marshal arrived at the museum, went inside, and abruptly broke up the party because the car was far in excess of the building's capacity for the city's fire code. At 12.35 a.m., Biggie left the building and climbed into the passenger seat of his rented GMC Suburban. He didn't have a driver's license. On the bumper of Biggie Suburban was a sticker that read, Think Big, March 25th, 1997, which was a promotion for his upcoming CD. His bodyguard and driver, D. Rockefeller, D. Rock, was behind the wheel. His backup singer and protege, Little Caesar from Junior Mafia, was in the back seat. D-Rock, Little Caesar, and Biggie were roommates in a New Jersey bachelor pad. Another Suburban with Biggie's entourage was in front, carrying puffy combs. Behind Biggie's Suburban was a Chevy Blazer, carrying security guards. Biggie's GMC left the parking lot and D-Rock made a right turn into Fairfax Avenue. All three cars were stopped at a red light at the Wilshire Boulevard intersection when a dark-colored car pulled up alongside the GMC's passenger side. 
Moments later, the driver of a dark car struck a 9mm weapon out the window and opened fire. Dang. Six to ten shots were fired from the handcuff. Biggie was hit seven times in the chest and abdomen. He lost consciousness also almost immediately. Puffy Combs said he heard the crack of gunfire that killed Biggie. I jumped out of my car and ran over to his, Combs told the New York Daily News. He fell to his knees at his friend's lifeless body, begging for God to help him. I was saying the Lord's Prayer in Hail Mary's. I was begging God to help him out. I was touching him and talking to him in his ear. Puffy and D-Rock tried to move Biggie, but he was too heavy. Instead, Puffy propped him up in the passenger seat and closed the Suburban's door. D-Rock got back in the driver's seat. Puffy got in the back seat, and they took Biggie to Cedars Sinai Medical Center, where they arrived at the when they arrived at the hospital, they helped emergency personnel lift Biggie's lifeless body onto a stretcher. But Biggie Smalls was dead on arrival. Hospital officials said Biggie probably died immediately after being shot. At 1.15 a.m., he was pronounced dead at Cedars-Sinai, the same hospital where Easy e had died of AIDS. Biggie was buried Tuesday, March 18th, in his native New York City. With thousands cheering along the route, his casket was driven through the impoverished streets of Bedford-Stuyvesant, where he was raised. Some onlookers jumped onto parked cars and began dancing to Biggie's music, blaring from ghetto blasters. Ten people were arrested for disorderly conduct. The similarities in the lives and deaths of Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls are striking. Like Tupac, Christopher Wallace was born in Brooklyn, grew up on the streets of Bed-Stuy. They were both raised by single mothers. Biggie's mother, Violetta Wallace, a Jamaican national, was a preschool teacher. His father, also Jamaican, left Christopher left when Christopher was two. But unlike Tupac's trouble in impoverished childhood, Valletta Wallace has said her son had a stable upbringing. Mrs. Wallace told Spin Magazine that her son was once on the honor roll at a Catholic school. According to what I've read, he's some hooligan from a single-parent household and a run-down ghetto walk-up. Well, let me tell you, there are plenty of intelligent, good-hearted kids from single-parent homes, and I always had a beautiful apartment. He has never gone hungry. Tupac, too, had been a good student. Despite his mother's best efforts, Biggie succumbed to the lures of the street. He dropped out of high school to sell drugs. So did Tupac. When he quit, when he quit school, I wanted to kill him, Valletta said. Finally, when he was 18, I said, if you can't live by my rules, you can't live under my roof. I don't care if I was cold. If I had to do it all over again, I would. I was full-time, 100% hustler, says one of Biggie's rap songs. Selling drugs, waking up early in the morning, hitting the street, selling any sh to the crack of dawn. 
My mother's going to work would see me out there in the morning. That's how I was on it. Biggie and Tupac each lived the life of a street gangster before either got into the music business. Biggie went from the street to the studio. He made his debuts on Mary J. Blige's remixes of Real Love and What's the 411. He appeared in Supercard's video, Dolly My Baby. His first single was Party and Bullshit. His first album, Ready to Die, went platinum for Bad Boy Entertainment, selling more than one million copies. He was honored as Rap Artist of the Year at the 1995 Billboard Awards. He was the king of rap on the East Coast. Definitely without a question, said rap music promoter Peter Thomas during a primetime live interview. Like Tupac... Biggie had trouble with the law, though not nearly as serious. On September 15, 1996, two days after Tupac died, Biggie was busted for smoking marijuana while sitting in his parked luxury car on a Brooklyn street. He was charged with drug possession. He has also been arrested for weapons and assault involving a show promoter in Camden, most bizarre, however, both Biggie and Tupac predicted their own deaths in their last albums, both of which were released posthumously. In his song, You're Nobody, he raps, You're Nobody Till Somebody Kills You. Both Tupac's Machiavelli and Biggie's Life After Death sold out the first week. Biggie's final album surpassed the Beatles' last album in record sales. As in life, so too in death. Both Tupac and Biggie were gunned down in drive-by shootings. Tupac was 25 when he was killed. Biggie was 24. Both had hired off-duty cops to guard them the night they were killed. Lieutenant Ross Moen of the Los Angeles P Police Department's Wilshire Division, which is handling Biggie's murder investigation, said the blazer carrying Biggie's security guards chased after the gunsman's vehicle for a few bucks but lost it before they could get a license plate number. The same thing happened after the Tupac shooting. Several cars chased after the Cadillac, police said, but none were able to catch it, or if they did, they didn't report it to the cops. When Tupac was shot, his record label owner, Suge Knight, drove him away from the crime scene, heading for a hospital. When Biggie was shot, his record label CEO, Puffy Combs, told his bodyguard to drive away to the scene, heading for a hospital. Also similar to the Tupac shooting, Biggie's murder was witnessed by scores of people. Biggie's estranged wife, Faith, dozens of partygoers, security guards, and parking attendants witnessed the shooting. But just as in the Las Vegas investigation of Tupac's murder, police initially said they had no description of the gunman and that witnesses were afraid to talk. And just like in Tupac's drive-by, no one took down the license plate of the car. It's frustrating, Detective Raymond Futami, one of the 20 investigators assigned to the case, said in a published report. I'm sure there's a little bit of an intimidation factor because of the reputation of some of the people who are involved in the case. Okay, I'm going to get into the rap now. Cry, let it all out. That's a little...
the killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott. Here we go. I can't stop. Gotta keep it up. All in. That's what's up. It takes me by the hand and lets me understand that he's the one with the master plan. As I stand with visions of the new, sometimes there's turbulence that we must go through. With the man above by your side, you should have recited to the top nonstop. Pray, okay, to say, God, I need you a lot. Hey, love is on the way like rain on a rainy day. He's your umbrella, not for the storm. Snowy weather, seat belt for the car, shelter, and always he's got you covered like chocolate-covered strawberries. He's very protective. The Bible gives you the lessons. Bible study to church, he's there when it hurts. And to show you his love, he will go berserk. Cry, let it all out when it hurts and like a nurse. The Lord will come through with nurturing. And if it's dollars, he got your purse. Asking you will receive. I like getting on my knees. Love weather and hot degrees. From Africa to the West Indies. Sure to please. With rap lines consecutively written like books. This is me not really having a hook. But look, it's not all about looks or who has the money. It's about who shines the white lights like the tail of a bunny. God shines in the night and day, and he lives when you pray. Every day, give him the praise. He gives you fun-filled days, keeps you at peace. When you cry, he'll help you release and heal around your heart. He'll put a shield of armor to keep you from falling under. So keep your head up like Tupac, I loved him from the start. Why did he have to part? Thank you, America. Cry loves you from the bottom of your heart. I can't stop. Gotta keep it up. All in. That's what's up. I can't stop. Gotta keep it up. All in. That's what's up. I can't stop. Gotta keep it up. All in. That's what's up. All right, America, that's a wrap. Let's cry, let it all out. The podcast, Missed You, America. Got some big things for you. We're going to do some other people, too, as you know, on Cry, Let It All Out. We're going to do Michael Jackson. We're going to do Bob Marley. We're going to do... John Lennon. We're going to do Luther Vandross. We're going to do so many more. But America, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. And Tupac and Biggie, um, I just listen to their music. If you listen to Tupac and Biggie's music, you will see that they're they're the greatest rappers that ever lived. They're better than a lot of the rappers out now. They're the best. And they were young when they got killed. Um, They had so much in store for us. Uh, Cry wants to say just... Let it all out for them. Listen, of course, to their music. Uh, You got the book, The Killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott. Um, We're going to continue on 
go back and continue on with chapter five um next podcast um but remember put down the guns because they're such a bad invention I don't know I don't believe we should be allowed to carry guns I don't believe we should have an amendment that says you have the right to bear arms. It's, I just don't. I don't know why, but I just don't. I think gun violence is too much. The guns are too much. People get murdered every day in this country. And don't you think the gun should be off the streets because of that. You, you can get, you, we sell guns in this country. How can we sell guns? And then it's like they say it's the people that are using the guns that are the problem. I don't think so. I think it's the guns that are the problem. Don't get a gun. You don't need one. We need to go back to the days of peace. You know, fighting up and up. (laughs) No fights, but, you know, maybe we need to go back to bow and arrows or something. (laughs) But we definitely don't need guns. Um... So remember Tupac and Biggie, love them with all your heart, keep them in your heart. I love you, America, for listening to Cry Let It All Out podcast, and I will see you next time. Love you, America.